Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern varieties, so plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make, but don't say we didn't warn you. Once upon a time, I purchased a poster for our dear friend Molly Ceramet, frequent mm-hmm. flyer guest expert on the Hurley Burley Shakespeare show. Yes. Uh, that was a woodcut image of a man surrounded by lemons and it said when life gives you lemons make poisoned lemonade oh my god i think you've told me about this before and now the puzzle pieces are falling into place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah it's it's on display in her office uh-huh. Uh, if you want to take a, a field trip to her <laughs> office, don't, people don't take a field trip to Molly's office. Don't do that. Don't show Unless up. Unless you're one that's of her weird. students uh, showing yeah, up at office hours. In which hours. case, yeah, you should do in that. In which case, that's so. office hours and not a field trip. So Yeah, but look for that poster <laughs> and then know that I purchased it for her. And also, uh, now you know the story behind That's a it. good gift. That's real good. Welcome to the Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show. Happy New Year. It's 2020. Uh, we are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. And uh, we're going to kick off 2020 by talking about a little play you've never heard of called The Devil's Charter. Oh, uh, it's so good. It's so good. Thank you for listening, everyone. We are back from our break. Jess, how was your break? <laughs> um, it was good for reasons. Listeners can't see her face, but she's <laughs> blushing and it's so cute. Yeah. It's, um, Mine I, was great, I mean, by the way. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I did, I, anyway. Uh, yeah. There, I'm, uh, I, there, boy. There's a boy. Yay. There's a boy. It's, it's brand new, but there's a boy. That's all we need to say. Uh, it was great. Uh, I saw Star Wars also. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, people and, did that. Oh, I took up hot yoga over the break. I started going to a hot yoga class. Ah. Um, so that's a new thing that I do now. Now I go to yoga four times a week, and one of them is hot yoga because I'm a hot. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, Sounds steamy. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I worked <laughs> on my dissertation a little bit, not mm-hmm. nearly as much as I should have done, but yeah, you know, that's it's a break. It's a break. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's mostly what I did. What did you do? I <laughs> kicked back a lot. I did a little bit of uh, Marie Kondoing of my junk. There's still oh, so good. much. Yeah, just not. Um, I got a fish, a beta fish. His name is Diablo. Um, what else did I do? I spent some time with my friends and it was great. It was a nice little holiday. Oh, good. Yeah. And I actually rang in the new year like a big girl out at a bar this year for the first time in a long time. So that was fun. So, right. So this week we're talking about the devil's charter. Yep. Uh, which was written by a guy called Barnaby Barnes that no one's ever heard of, but like that name though. Um, so why don't we introduce Barnaby Barnes to our listeners? Yeah. It's time to meet the contemporary Barnaby Barnes. 
This is your life. It's Barnaby Barnes, the third son of Dr. Richard Barnes, whom no one's ever heard of, the Bishop of Durham. He was baptized in York on March 6th of 1571. He later died and was buried at Durham in December of 1609. So a short little life. For Mr. Yeah, Barnaby Barnes. He's not super old. Yeah. Um, he was primarily, I guess, an English poet. He was known for his Petrarchan love sonnets, because, uh, you know, those those old bangers, um, yeah. Parthenophil and Parthenophy, or sonnets, madrigals, elegies, and odes. You know, you've you've heard oh, yeah. of that, right? Yes, from, that old chestnut. Of course, 1593, I have. 1593, or yes. or maybe a divine century of spiritual sonnets from oh, 1595. Yes, yes indeed, my favorite. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, never. Didn't know he wrote poetry until today. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and it's mostly what he did, and and other. Mm-hmm. He wrote like prose too. He wrote yeah. some pamphlets. Yeah. Particularly um, interesting about this guy, Barnaby Barnes, was that he was in an epic beef with contemporary writer Thomas Nash. He became involved in this pamphlet feud between Gabriel Harvey and Thomas Nash. Barnes took the part of Harvey, who wanted to impose the Latin rules of quantity on English verse. And Barnes even experimented with classical meters himself. So this is a beef about poetry like i just want to understand i want people to understand like the leb the depth of the nerdiness of this beef is just yeah. knows no bounds <laughs> this was part of the the so-called poets war yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think so yeah um, yeah so nash accused him uh apparently on no proof at all of stealing a nobleman's chain at windsor and also mm. some other things mm, indeed and then barnaby hit back by contributing to an anti-nash pamphlet in which he labeled Nash a confidence trickster, a liar, a viper, a laughingstock, and mere worthless matter who should be flattered that Harvey even deigned to insult him. Amazing. (laughs) Spicy. Uh, Also, good old Barnaby Barnes was prosecuted in 1598 for attempting to murder a guy called John Brown, not John Brown of Harper's Ferry fame, different John Brown. Or John Brown from the Bob Marley song, I Shot the Sheriff. It's fine. Sure. Is that not the same John Brown? Sheriff John Brown trying to... It's not the same John Brown? No. All right. Uh, so the the way that he attempted to murder John Brown uh, was first by offering him a poisoned lemon and then by sweetening his wine with sugar laced with mercury sublimate. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on whose side you're on here, Brown survived the attack and Barnes fled prison before the case concluded. He was not pursued. Oh, my goodness. Mm hmm. Wow, and we thought poisoned paintings were a bridge too far, but no, Mm. poisoned lemon. Goodness. Uh, Yeah, so as we said before, he was more of a sonnet guy, um, but along with The Devil's Charter, he also wrote a play called The Battle of Evesham, uh, and the manuscript for that, it's a lost play now. Uh, That manuscript is lost to time. We just have the title. Um, Do we know He only wrote two plays. Uh, oh shit! That? I can check that. I mean, it's fine. I was just going to check if sources. it was in the Wiggins, but it's a lost place. So it's probably not in the Wiggins. So let's don't worry about it. It's in the um, later half of his life. Like he wrote, okay. um, he wrote Devil's Charter in 1607, or at least yeah, it was ish. sent. It was performed in 1607 yeah, yeah, yeah. by the King's Men. So like. Yeah. Yeah. It, this one was like around that time as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll check the Wiggins later. Yeah. So let's talk about this play. Yeah. So before, of course, we dive into any kind of summary, we like to give you a five word unhelpful title. Mine is Deaths by Makeup and Asps. 
<laughs> um, minus six words. I'm cheating ish. Okay. Uh, and that is make better contracts with the devils, y'all. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Just if you're gonna make a contract with the devil, make a better one. Yeah. Just make sure that everyone than... understands the terms too, like, and yep. the math is clear for all parties yep. involved. And also, yeah, like the first thing you do, everyone knows with a devil's contract or with a genie in a bottle is you wish for more wishes or like for eternity or some yep. shit and none of these characters yep. in any of these plays seem to be able to figure that out it's fine nope we've all learned from nope. their mistakes clearly right right <laughs> so silly okay, okay it's time for some dramatis personae but only the really important ones and in this play that's a lot of them God, there's so many fucking characters in this play. Uh, there are 46 speaking roles fucking in this play. Hell. P.S. Oh my yeah. god! And there's like I don't know 20 in our DP or 15 maybe. Yeah, anyway. yeah. So first and foremost is Pope Alexander the Sixth, who starts out as a homie called Rodrigo. Yeah. Uh, there's also Charles, the King of France. Ooh, He's yes. important for a minute. There's Gismund de Vasily, married to the Pope's daughter. Yes daughter this pope is an mm -hmm. unconventional pope to say the least and he has children <laughs> well he sells his soul to the devil i mean yeah so and a lot of these you know middle age middle ages these medieval popes were like fucking around and they had secret families and shit so like yeah you know yeah it's fine yeah um so his daughter's name is lucretia he she is the pope's daughter she's married to gismund yes then there's barbarossa a nobleman there's also the Duke of Candy, who's the Pope's son. That's and yes, I'm going to say his name, name that way the whole time. Candy. Such a stupid name. Oh, my God. It belongs yeah. in a Steinbeck novel, not in an early mm. modern play, but it's fine. Mm -hmm. There's also Cardinal Caesar, the Pope's other son. Like, how are you going to name your children Candy and Caesar? Right? How are you going to do that? It's very <laughs> clear which is the favorite, is all I'm saying. Mm, yeah. Uh, there's Aster Manfredi, who is the Pope's kept boy. Mm. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. He's got a kept boy. There's also Filippo Manfredi, who's Aster's brother. Yeah, but maybe not the Pope's kept boy. It's very, it's unclear yeah. there. Yeah. No. Uh, then we have Fresco Baldi, who is a ruffian and probably the greatest character in this entire play i'm just gonna fresco say baldi love some fresco baldi <laughs> then there's baglioni a braggart and bernardo who's another nobleman and rosy an apothecary also there are devils like whoa so many devils yeah. lots and lots of devils yeah 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 because so. the devil goes by many names and many bodies it's like mephistopheles and beelzebub <clears throat> and yeah, like and them, in this play, he's not that, Vulcan not and Astaroth right. and right. Yeah. something with a B. It's, those are some deep cuts into the Bible that I just... Yeah. yeah. I'm always surprised that there are more names for all these little minor devils. The, the devil roll call. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. is. Okay, yeah. so why should this play be goddamn popular? Well, because it ain't. Yeah, no. It, it, <laughs> Why should it be? No one's ever heard of it. No one's no ever heard one. of Barnaby Barnes. No. Uh, but nope. good goddamn, this play is fucking weird and fucking great. So, like, without getting too deep into the plot summary that we are about to do, yeah. um, this play has a goddamn pope selling his soul to the goddamn devil, which yep. is, like, super fun. There's some really fucking great murders. There is yeah. one, like amazing femme fatale role that's lucretia she gets to do some good shit she does a great murder and then she has a great death yeah. by murder um it's like 
this play this play is like three different plays frankly like acts one and two are one play and then acts three and four are another play and then act five is like a third play entirely (laughs) um but with cutting there there's a good cohesive play in here uh so anyway it's i guess come for the devils and stay for the murders yeah yeah this was also one of the plays if people think back to um our fall episodes this this season not um, that long ago that yeah not not too long ago but you know what the holidays yeah. and no, wipes, no, wipes my memory clean yeah, but yeah. um this was one of the plays that i talked about briefly uh because during the blackfires conference this in 2019 uh this was pitched as one that like why the fuck haven't we done it at the american shakespeare center in the blackfires playhouse yet the yep. place that it was arguably written for Yep. Right. And it was written for Shakespeare's company, the King's Men. Yeah, it'd be good. Uh, So like, yeah, so it is meant for the Blackfriars. Why haven't we done it at the Blackfriars yet? Um, And everyone was like blown away. We're like, what? This play is bananas crazy. Uh, So like, yes, it is. I I fervently hope that it makes an appearance maybe in the Ren season. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not going to happen this Ren season because that's set. But like 2021 and beyond, perhaps just like putting that out in there into the universe because it should be popular and people should see it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, Also, while I'm thinking about it before we get into the summary, if we read the summary and you're like, wow, I want to actually read this play. Uh, The full text is available on the Internet. Just Google the Devil's Charter Barnaby Barnes. It will come up. There are several texts out there they're all equal levels of like eh <laughs> but yeah it's it's the full text it's a long play it's 3300 lines but um get to it because worth woof. it <laughs> this worth play is amazing. it worth it so It's summary time. So we will now summarize the Devil's Charter for you in a segment that this week we're calling Forget the Two Popes. This is the Rude Pope. Lol. Were you trying to make an internal rhyme there? Yeah. Two Popes and Rude Pope? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not, this is, yeah, it's my first, it's first one back and I, I knew it wasn't going to be good, um, but it's I was okay. trying to be both topical and, mm, yes, punny (laughs) i don't actually know what the two popes is i saw it on the internet like a week ago yeah it's a title of something it is the title of i think a movie or yeah it's on netflix kind of series someone important is in it i don't Um, care nope me either (laughs) i don't watch shows about the papacy i just don't yeah um, okay. I didn't even watch the Borgias when it was out on Showtime nope. or whatever. Nope. Me Which is roughly what this is about. I mean, this is about the Borgia yeah, family. It is, in fact. So, yeah. And I say roughly because, well, a lot of it's made up. But, okay. Well, I'm ready. Are you ready with a timer? Do we need yes, a timer? Yes, I've got a timer. Okay. Jess no, got a timer. is ready. She I'm ready. ready. You ready? Go for she it. Ready. I'm ready. Yeah. All right. All right, so the play opens with a dumb show prologue that shows Roderigo making a deal with the devil to become Pope Alexander VI. Charles of France goes to war against Italy on religious grounds. Gismond and Barbarossa intercept some slander against the new Pope, Alexander VI, and Gismond 
uh, and he, Gismond and Barbosa are upset, and they promise to find and punish the writer. The Pope soliloquizes about how he has made this deal with the devil for the betterment of his sons, Candy and Caesar. He divides Italy and their surrounding territories between them and gives them a swath to rule King Lear much. Um, Caesar and the Pope pontificate about ruling well and fighting wars in the name of religion, because duh. Lucretia prepares to murder her husband Gismond for keeping her shut away. They trade barbs about jealousy and virtue. She ties him up, makes him sign a statement that he slandered her, her father the Pope, her brother Caesar and Candy, and then stabs him a bunch. Yeah, a lot. Then she stays, stages it to look like he killed himself out of regret over keeping her locked up, and she retires to bed. A servant and Barbarossa discover the body, and she feigns shock and grief. She makes a scene and threatens to kill herself as well. The chorus tells us that King Charles is marching on Italy with about 20,000 troops. Wow. Okay. Act two. Alexander, Caesar, and Candy prepare for battle against King Charles. Alexander and Charles parlay and can't come to an agreement. Charles wants to conquer Rome and Alexander won't yield to yield to the Castellangelo. Charles's companions call Alexander the Antichrist and call on Charles to remove him from the throne. Charles and Alexander reach an accord. The chorus tells us that after this, Charles dies, territory changes hands a couple more times, and the rest of the play really only concerns the Pope and Caesar, his son. <laughs> In Act 3, the Pope sends a messenger with a ruby to Aster, bidding him to come and visit and have sexy times. Aster is super insulted by this request. The Pope then comes out of a casement, just like casual-like, to beg slash woo Aster (laughs) to come to him. Aster resists and resists and then excuses himself to go to Mass. The Pope tells his servant to make sure Aster visits after Mass because he cannot breathe without him. Elsewhere, Caesar hires Frescobaldi, a ruffian, to do some nefarious work. Candy su- suspects that his Caesar, that his sister, Lucretia, murdered her husband, Gismond, and calls her in for questioning. Frescobaldi sets up his post to do his dirty work. Caesar and Frescobaldi trip and stab Candy. Frescobaldi hauls Candy's body up to toss it over the bridge and into the river Tiber. Caesar pushes Frescobaldi after. Caesar then crows about how no one will suspect his crime since he's a cardinal. He plots to kill his sister, Lucretia, next. Damn. Act four, the Pope conjures devils to find out who murdered Candy and Gismond and is horrified when he finds out that Caesar and Lucretia are responsible. He vows that they and Aster, whom he previously could not breathe without, must Uh die. The Uh Pope accuses Caesar of murdering Candy and Caesar accuses the Pope of incest, murder, sodomy, lust, etc. They both agree to conceal each other's sins in order to keep the status quo, though, so we're condoning all of this. Lucretia puts on some poisoned makeup and dies unexpectedly. Amazing. At least Amazing. unexpectedly to her. It's really yep. good. Um, the Pope arranges for Aster and his brother Filippo to be drugged to sleep and then places asps on both of their chests and they die. Other lords suspect foul play. I can't imagine why. <laughs> okay. Coming in hot. <laughs> Act five. Here we go. Oh my God. Caesar discharges his army with good pay, and then he hires Baglioni to kill Razzi, who is an apothecary. Bernardo arrives to collect some powders and potions from Razzi. Razzi sets down his bottles to read a letter. Baglioni drinks from the bottles while he waits to shoot Razzi. The bottles are poisoned. Oh my god. Bernardo leaves with the potions. Baglioni shoots Razzi. The Pope and Caesar discuss their plans to poison another cardinal at a banquet that night. 
The devil, the literal devil, shows up at the banquet and plays switcheroo with the poison bottles, and the Pope and Caesar poison themselves. Caesar stabs Bernardo for the mix-up. The cardinals (laughs) depart to save themselves. The devils plan to hurry the Pope to hell. The Pope tries to repent, and has difficulty accessing his conscience. Faustus, what? He retires to his study and finds the devil there waiting for him. The Pope tries to exorcise the devil and cannot. They look over the contract he made in exchange for becoming pope and because of some tricky math it is for 11 years and seven days although the pope thought it was for 18 years and eight days they argue over the terms and the devil tells the pope to prepare for eternal torment the devil shows the pope the ghosts of stabbed caesar stabbed candy and poisoned lucretia the pope is poisoned in retribution for poisoning lucretia while caesar will be stabbed in retribution for stabbing candy a bunch of devils arrive to take the pope down to hell Two cardinals find his corpse and order Rome's bells to be rung in thanksgiving for being delivered from this wicked pope. The end. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love this play. (laughs) I love this play. I love this play. My favorite part is the bit where they're like, it's the Pope and the devil sitting in their study and the Pope's being like, no, look, it's 18 years and eight days. And the devil's like, "Mm -mm, bitch, look at this number right here. That's 11 years and seven days. What up? I'm the devil. Oh my God. It's so good. It's so dorky. It's so good. (laughs) They're arguing over years. Wow. And again, like really specific and short term limits on these yep. contracts with the devil. Like what the fuck is up with that? Yep. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, as if that weren't fun enough, mm-hmm. and it so was, we're now going to bring you a taste of text in which we read a small but crucial scene from the play to give you a, a little a little taste of its flavor. Um, this one is, uh, for this play, we've chosen Act 3, Scene 1, which is where Astor and some of his captors, uh, not the Pope, talk about some gay stuff about the Pope. Um, I mean, the Alexander and Astor is fewer characters and also okay. way gayer. So. Okay, well, let's do that part then. Okay, all right. Let's do so, that. So what happens... Uh, is that the messenger shows up with the ruby yeah. to be like, hey, Aster, come fuck the Pope. And yeah. Aster's all like, nah, bitch, thanks. Yeah. Uh, and then the Pope, Alexander, comes out of a casement and he says. Yeah. Um, for those at home, a casement is another word for window, like a window, closet, right. cupboard. Yeah. yeah. He sort of like okay. opens a secret door, basically, and like Amazing. pops out. Great. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Would you like to be Alexander or Aster? I did just read Aster. Okay, great. I'll be Alexander. Okay. Uh, stage direction says, Alexander, out of a casement. Aster? What Aster? My delight, my joy, my star, my triumph, my sweet fantasy, my more than sun, my love, my concubine. Let me behold those bright stars, my joy's treasure, those glorious, well-attempered, tender cheeks, that specious, specious, specious forehead, like a lane of lilies, that seemly nose, love's chariot, triumphant, breathing, panchean odors to my senses, that gratuitous, gracious, not gratuitous, that gracious <laughs> mouth, betwixt whose crimson 
Pillow? 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 Pillow. Venus and Cupid sleeping kissed together. That chin, the ball vowed to the queen of beauty, now budding ready to bring forth love blossoms. Aster Manfredi, turn thee to my love. Come hither, Aster, we must talk above. Betrayed? (laughs) A slave to sin? What shall I say? Most holy father. Do not me forget. I am thy brother and thy dearest friend, and though in age I love, know that desire in riper years is pure and permanent, grounded on judgment flowing from pure love, whereas the love lightning from young desire, fickle and feeble, will not long hold fire. It is so violent it will not last. They're blessed whose lovers love when youth is past. To call you friend were too familiar. To call you brother sorts not with our years. To call you father doth import some fear. Due to that age your holiness doth bear. Tell me not of mine age and holiness. Thy sight sufficeth me to make me young. Neither upbraid me with with my sanctimony. Love is the purest essence from above. And to thy soul I would affix my love. Oh my god, this guy the rhymes okay come hither then and rest with me tonight give mm. me fruition of those amorous pits mm. where blinded cupid close in ambush sits talk Ooh. about his dick going oh, in his butt oh my goodness cupid's who, butt shaft Ooh. who with his arrow when thou laughed at venus shot through thy smiling cheeks and did enchain us Oh my god. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I just want to spell it out for everyone. (laughs) Thy chamber with ambrosial odors breatheth. New loves and true loves unto them that entreateth. And furious Mars made mild his falchion sheatheth. At thy delicious aspect, see thy chamber. The walls are made of roses, roof of lilies. Be not ashamed to mount and venture it. Here, Cupid's altar and fair Venus hill is. Thy bed is made with spice and calamus, with cinnamon and spicknard, Arabic, with opo balsam, and rich gums of Egypt, music angelical of strings and voices. I'm so confused. With sundry birds in sugared symphony, where whistling wood nymphs and the pleasant choice is of antique action mixed with harmony. Attend thy joyous entrance to this chamber. <laughs> should, we, should we stop there, maybe? Sure. <laughs> it goes on a little Ooh, bit with more yes. like, let me tell you about flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about flowers and how pretty you are and how much yeah. I want to fuck you. Um, yeah. And then Alexander tinketh a bell. And like, <laughs> yep. There's a lot of bell tinkething. There is. Yeah. There's a, a lot, lot of, of bell tinkething. Tinkething a bell. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Um, yeah. Hopefully you've gotten enough of a taste of that text. Because we're done with that. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk some cool stuff about this text. Jess? So uh, the play is notable for reasons um one of the the big reasons that we're interested in this play we being people who study early modern drama uh is that it has unusually 
frequent and fulsome stage directions, which reveal yeah. a whole lot about the dramatic style of the company, the the King's Men, who who uh, owned this play. Um, and because the stage directions also specify some of the play's characters carrying in their props onto the stage with them, mm-hmm. uh, which is super interesting. Because a lot of these characters are historical people, right? We have uh, Charles the Eighth, I think, of France, mm-hmm. and Caesar Borgia, and the guy who's the chorus is also a historical figure. Um, mm-hmm. The effect of them carrying on these props can be kind of odd and striking, right? Lucretia Borgia enters uh, at the end, or sorry, at the beginning, not the end. She doesn't enter at the end of the scene. She enters at the beginning of act one, scene five, carrying a chair, which she quote planteth upon the stage. But like she, she never would have carried in her own chair, right? right? Like right. that's not a thing. So it's, it's sort of a weird disconnect of uh, the, collision between art and artifice i guess right and the staging conditions that they have to use yeah 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 Yeah. right like how else are you gonna get that chair on the stage like you have to someone has to bring it it on and she it might as well be her right who is actually him obviously because it's an actor so so the text of the devil's charter has a whole lot of intellectual and historical and contemporary jacobean references for uh a a jacobean audience member there would have been like a whole lot of like easter eggs in there um it is absolutely not accidental that this anti-catholic play can we talk about the pope is called the antichrist this is an anti-catholic play uh was written and produced in the aftermath of the gunpowder plot of 1605 right remember remember the 5th of november um protestant propagandists found the story of the Borgia family a useful resource for pushing their anti-papist agenda. Of course. Um, And then this story was later uh, dramatized again by a guy called Nathaniel Lee in his play called Caesar Borgia in 1679. I mean, to be fair, the Borgias did themselves no favors. Zero favors. Like none. Yeah, they were not. To be fair. (laughs) Not great people. No. Um, So the, the Devil's Charter, the play... Uh, dates from roughly 1607. That is the first print edition that we have is the 1607. Uh, the the Wiggins catalog of British drama, whatever the fuck that book is called, uh, places it as a best guess of 1606 for composition. Mm-hmm. Um, it was acted by the King's Men at court in front of King's James, King's James, King James, uh, <laughs> On Candlemas, which is the 2nd of February of 1607, John Hemmings of First Folio fame was paid 90 pounds for that performance plus eight other performances. So for a total of nine performances, um, unclear if it was nine performances of this play or if it was like one performance of this play and then like eight performances Mm -hmm. of other plays. Um, But that works out to roughly 10 pounds for a performance, which seems like a fair amount of money. Uh, especially yeah, if, that's actually quite yeah, a bit of money. It's it's, it's mm-hmm. yeah. Considering that early modern actors brought home roughly forty pounds a year. Yeah. So on average. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so for the like historical sort of take on this play, the action of the play takes place over the course of 11 years during the papacy of Alexander VI, which was from 1492 to 1503. Many of the scenes take place in darkness late at night or early in the morning. So we've got a, a staging condition there. We've got to play darkness. Mm-hmm. We've got to have candles and torches and things. Yeah. Um, Mr. Barnaby Barnes drew on a bunch of sources for this play, including Marlos Faustus. If you read Act 5, you'll be like, what up, Faustus? Right. And also Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra shows up in the text a little bit. Um, the text is also fairly multilingual. There are 123 words of Latin and 90 words of Italian, plus a handful of Spanish and French. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta know your romance languages if you're gonna get all up in this play. There's also the amazing trifecta of chorus, dumb shows, and epilogue, which I love. Love, love, love. And then finally, I just want to point out that this play is incredibly sensory. Um, there are shit tons of sound effects from like normal things like bells and clock chiming to like thunder and lightning plus conjuring devils um an embarrassment of murders that you're gonna need like do a lot of things and for. some kind of embarrassing murders yes yeah. <laughs> uh and you know because it's like the pope we also need sumptuous fabrics and riches and banquets and right. things so right. there's um needs to be opulent yeah. Yeah. yeah it needs to be opulent yeah this is this is a play that requires a lot so yeah um, that's what i have to say about it yeah, I imagine the King's Men would have pulled out all the stops from all yeah. of their fanciest I mean, stock to do this. And they this. were performing at court. So like, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I I just wanted to throw out a few of my highlights. Um, Production-wise, you have the gift of a, an incredible dumb show at the very beginning, um, which I, I wish there were just like a small portion of it to read. You kind of have to either read the whole thing or nothing at all. Yeah. Um, but, but it's kind of crazy, amazing, uh, and really specific. And, and like Jess said, all of the stage directions actually throughout this play are really specific, yeah. um, which is helpful and interesting, just like mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. So first things first, f- to produce this play, get yourself a damn good dramaturg who can help you sort through the historical stuff, who can help you like understand the context of the real Borgia family and the actual historical shit going on from like separating that from the anti-Catholic propaganda that's definitely happening here. Um, just for, for clarity, I think it, it's helpful. Um, also somebody who might be able to help you with them, as Jess said, the multiple languages just casually dropped in there. Not Latin to mention hard. Latin is so hard. Um, not to mention, okay, like the copy we were reading, and I'm and I'm sure some other copies have been like standardized mm-hmm. in spelling and stuff, but the one we were reading was not. Yeah, it's it's just it's the quarto facsimile, right? Yeah. So the quarto yeah. facsimile, it like much like every other you know uh, trend in early modern printing, it's phonetic, right? Spelling was not standardized in English or really any other language. So like I wasn't sure a lot of times if uh, particularly not so much with the Latin. Um, but, but with like the Italian and the Spanish and stuff, I wasn't sure if the spelling of that stuff was phonetic or not. So like even trying to take it to Google translate, you know, trying to do it digitally by yourself, you might have some trouble because it's spelled badly. (laughs) So like get somebody who knows who can, who can help you with that kind of stuff. Not to mention like the Greek, Roman and biblical name dropping 
all over the place. Like, yep. all over the place. And these are some deep cuts to yeah. Greek and Roman mythology, yeah. not to mention the Bible, obviously, yeah. uh, the Bible, because it's dealing with the Pope and shit. Um, but, like, I I saw names from, like, all, all kinds of crazy obscure myths just dropped in there. Um, mm-hmm. Because Barnaby Barnes apparently was really into that. I don't know. He's, like, sort of an obnoxious name dropper. So find a dramaturg or a, perhaps even a team of dramaturgs mm-hmm. who can help you with those things to make sure that you know what you're saying and that you are clear when you produce this play, because somebody will produce this play, you should do it. Somebody's going to hear this podcast and be like, what? My life is forever changed. We're going to do this display. Also, get ready. You probably heard it in our Taste of Text segment, but the verse is really versy, um, like really versy and rhymey. So like buckle up for that. Uh, I mean, of course, this is not surprising given that Barnaby Barnes was a sonneteer. Um, more so than a playwright. So, like, it's super versy. Um, I think he's aspiring for, like, Marlovian pounding that iambic pentameter, but, it, like, he's just not as good at it, and it rhymes too fucking much. So just get ready for that. That's, for me, kind of always an obstacle, like, trying to take a part seriously, but also dealing with rhyme. Uh, there's some really good little gems. Like, I know, you know, given how, like, cuckoo bananas the rest of the play is, there's one little line, and again, I think it's because of like phonetic spelling. But Gismond, very early on in the play, gets to say, "Read it, toot man," and I'm sure it's toot like T O apostrophe T. Yeah. But the it. printing says, yeah, like to it. But the printing says, "Toot man," T O O T, and I laughed out loud. <laughs> Read it, toot man. Um, so that's fun. There's also a stage direction that just reads, "Embrace fantastically." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is awesome um and like what the fuck do you do with that those are great you fantastically embrace duh Aubrey. i mean <laughs> I don't, yeah but i like, don't understand why you're struggling with this <laughs> <laughs> um as jess said the play requires lots of special effects and murders and demons so you're gonna need you know some some pretty solid like choreography and also some great props um but not the least of which though is a devil towards the end entering through thunder and lightning uh riding on a lion or, a or, maybe, or maybe a dragon <laughs> you know we're not we're not sure <laughs> yeah like but it says in the stage directions riding on a lion or a dragon yeah so like you take your pick you know like we thought jupiter descending on an eagle was hard for cymbeline but like this is the devil yep. riding in on a lion dragon yep yep or a dragon lion yep or something like that like some kind of a griffin i don't know um so that's fun uh, those are some of my favorite little bits. And then and then I just kind of have a question, right? Like the the events in this play are so outrageous. Like to me, to a modern, you know, 21st century person, uh, I'm reading this and I'm laughing out loud, both with like surprise, like, ha ha ha, that's so terrible, but also just like genuinely laughing out loud. And I think um, the biggest challenge for a production would be walking that line i think between tragedy and farce like are we supposed to take this play seriously are we supposed to you know experience the aristotelian fear and pity um when all these people die or is it meant is it like agitprop almost is it like that far on the other side end of the spectrum that it's so intentionally outrageous that you're supposed to see it and like make fun of it um like I, I'm not really sure where it falls, and I'm and I mm-hmm. think that's okay. You know, I think um, any production could lean one way or the other. Um, but right. you're, 
gonna have to decide uh i think because yeah. it's a challenge right stuff that like dude she dies by like putting on makeup poisoned you know? makeup poisoned fucking makeup and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second because i think it's so good but yeah but also like another guy gets tripped and pushed off a bridge you know yeah. like and yeah. another dude is stabbed multiple times and like yeah. asps while they're sleeping like it's so cuckoo so I, I don't know. And I know it's sort of pointless to ask, what are we supposed to do? What's the intention? Um, I, the, I mean, that's a production question, right? Right. Yeah. And it's which the production not, needs to decide what their intention yeah. is. We're not mounting a production. So no. And, and also, I mean, you know, I, I suppose there are still some corners of the world that really want to instill a fear of the Catholic Church into your hearts. But I think the Catholic Church is doing that all on its own, really. Um, without any help of a silly play that's 400 years old. Just my two cents. But also, let's talk about the most fantastic death in the play, oh which so is Lucretia's good. death I, scene. Yeah, so I said to you, but not to the listeners, because I don't think yeah. we're recording yet. Um, I, this afternoon, not one hour ago, uh, was reading this play with a group yeah. in my living room. And I got to read Lucretia. Uh, and when I say got to, I mean, it was because I have, I've read the play several times already right. um, and knew that she was a good role. And so I just sort of stole it for myself. <laughs> good call. And yeah. reading that death scene, uh, soup's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So because I was unfamiliar with this play, I read mm -hmm. a synopsis of it first and then I read the text. So I kind of uh, knew what was coming. Can I ask you if you read the synopsis that's on Wikipedia? I did. Do you know who wrote that synopsis? No. You wrote that? <laughs> I wrote that synopsis. Good for you. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Because okay. I, when I was reading for comps uh, last summer, um, I did a lot of like looking at Wikipedia for synopses. And when yeah. they were not there and or were terrible, I just dumped in my plot notes. <laughs> awesome. What a so star. So you're welcome, world. That's yeah. me. I wrote that shit. So, so, but, but let me say though, that like when I read the synopsis, it, it mm -hmm. wasn't as clear, like nope. at yeah. first, whether Lucretia was committing suicide or like if she knew this death was coming right. while she's putting on this makeup or if it like surprised her. So then when yep. I got to the moment in the play, she clearly is surprised by it, which makes mm -hmm. what comes before it hilarious, right? Mm -hmm. She mm -hmm. is looking at herself in the mirror. Yeah. She's all she like, is oh feeling herself look at my boobs look at my like, lips yeah she delivers the best blazon of herself it's so good it's so fucking good of herself um and to refresh your memory folks a blazon is like a, a sort of an erotic poem that like names parts of a woman's body and yeah. praises them so yep. she is doing that for herself like she is in like true lizzo fashion like mm -hmm. feeling herself mm -hmm. in the mirror and she's putting on this makeup and then all of a sudden she's like oh my god my face is on fire and then she dies <laughs> Yeah, I mean, me, it's so bad. It's good. It's let so me good. just read a little of this because it is, it's really fucking good. It's really okay. good. So she says, uh, a chin, the matchless fabric of fair nature, a neck to breasts upon whose cherry nipples so many sweet solsians Cupid sucked. Give me some blanching water in this bowl. Wash my face, servant, with this cloth. So tis well now. Now will I try these colors, the makeup. She puts on the makeup. She puts on the makeup. 
Put on makeup and then I feel a foul stink in my nostrils. Some stink is vehement and hurts my brain. My cheeks both burn and sting. Give me my glass out, out for shame. I see the blood itself dispersed and inflamed. Give me some water. My brains intoxicate. My face is scalded. Ah, rank poison is ministered to bring me to my death. I feel the venom boiling in my veins. And so so on and so on till she dies. It's really good. It's so good. Yeah. Just like, look at my tits. Uh, Wait, my face is on fire. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If, yeah. if there was ever, you know, an emblem of 2019, it might be that. Mm. Look at my tits. Wait, my face is on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's the year in a nutshell. Anyway. Right. Um, so that all by itself makes this play, one, worth a read and then yes. worth a do. Like, you've got to do it. Yeah. I mean, you want to blow some people away in an audition? Like, do that fucking monologue oh out, my God. Like, yeah, out of nowhere. Oh, my God. Yeah, that would be good. Wouldn't that be incredible? Yeah, you'd have to cut really it good. a whole lot because it's, yes. like, pages. But, yeah, sure. if you could, like, trim the blazon and then put on the makeup and be like, yeah. oh, shit, I'm and dying. Die. That, that would be really one good. hell of an audition monologue. Yeah, like, it would. People could, would never see it coming. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You could show <laughs> off your life. And Amazing. Be like, Look how fucking versatile I am. Look at yep. me. Look at me. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. So that's what I have production wise. Um, everybody needs to experience this play. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. Jess, you did it the right way because I said it to you again off air, yeah. but I'm going to say it again for the people. Um, get a reading group together and just read through this and like bring some booze. Like it'll be a party. It'll be really I mean, good. shit. All you need is a Friday night and a bottle of wine and like five people. Like, yeah. fucking just do it. Oh my it God. is long. Be prepared for it that. Is. It's 3,300 lines. It took us. Uh, three three hours to get through it so and we're all early modern scholars and like rocked through it so um it might it might take a little bit longer for uh people who aren't quite as comfortable with the language and the verse barnaby barnes does not play when it comes to length of his verse yes so all right so that's uh moving on to a game Yay. We're going to yeah. do the playlist game. I don't know what we're calling this game. We're just making a playlist. So we're going to make a playlist. For, we're going to make a playlist for the play, for a particular character. What are we doing? Um. So when I tell my students to do this, uh, I usually do it based around a character. Great. Um, like when I did it for Revenger's Tragedy, I said, what's on Vendice's playlist? They're, the problem is choosing a character for this play because I like... Mean, yeah. There's so many of them. Um, I suppose we could just go with the Pope since he's like the main character, I guess. Sure. But he's like kind of the least interesting. He's not as in- I would say either Candy or Lucretia because I like them the best. But okay. let's actually sorry. Let's let's do it this way. Let's think about we are mounting a production and we need yeah. a pre-show and we need intermission music. Okay. Okay. So okay. we need like let's say like we need like ten songs. Sure. Okay. Sure. I want to open with I want candy. <laughs> excellent excellent um yeah. okay 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 so that's uh, one yeah we will follow it up in our pre-show set yep. from, from i want candy with closer by nine inch nails that's I the, the i want to fuck you like an animal oh song. i want to fuck you so like an animal yeah, it's I called closer song. I don't, I didn't, I don't know that I knew that that was Nine Inch Nails. Yep. Um, okay. 
Uh, so then we're going to do Bad Blood by T Swift. Ha! Great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> I, was, I already picked something kind of sexy and sexual. So I'm thinking, like, mm. what else? Mm. How about Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine? It's also not a song I know. Killing in the Name of. Da-da, da-da, and now you do what they told you. It's really good. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. It's really good. I've been listening to a lot of 90s music lately. Mm, amazing. Taking me back. Um, what like Sympathy for the Devil or like Devil in a Blue Dress or like mm. one of those devil songs, right? Oh, yeah. For sure a devil song. Yeah. Like Devil in a Blue Dress could be good because I'm thinking about like Lucretia. Yeah. Um, but Sympathy for the Devil is maybe more like big picture. Yeah. Of the play. Um, okay. But let's go with Devil in a Blue Dress and Lucretia Great. sings it. Um, I would love to balance that with Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Now, and I will say I'm stealing this. I'm completely stealing this because it was the saddest and most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Um, I'm stealing it from the touring troops last production of Faustus. So what was that like 2014, 2015 um, when the ASC touring troop did Faustus uh, the last time and they had the two actors. It was Stephanie and Patrick Earl Mm -hmm, who played mm -hmm. uh, Mephistopheles and Lucifer Mm -hmm, respectively mm -hmm, in mm -hmm, their mm -hmm, devil mm -hmm, getup singing hallelujah. But it was mashed up with something else. Wasn't it? No, uh, that was just them singing hallelujah. And it was like if you know, of course, like the Bible yeah. lore of yeah. of the devils and how they're cast out of heaven and whatever, yeah. it is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I would just love to see that again. It was beautiful so, and yeah. gutting. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> hallelujah. Mm-hmm, after mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm gonna go with "For Once in My Life" by the Decemberists. Okay. Um, which is just like "For Once in My Life." Could just something go right, please? <laughs> Which uh, I feel like captures the spirit of a lot of people in this play who are like, can I just get my shit together, please? And also thank you. Yeah. Um, Since I talked about it um, and now I'm really feeling it, I would take Excuse Me by Lizzo. And that's the one where she's like, excuse me while I feel myself. Mm, and mm-hmm, it would be great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we got to we gotta put Lizzo on there. That's what we got to do. I mean, do. yes. Is it a soundtrack when Lizzo's not on it? I don't think so. So. Okay. Okay. We need two more. Two more. I don't know if I'm serious about this or not, but like Last Resort by Papa Roach. Yes. <laughs> First band I ever saw in concert, BT Dubs. Fucking really? Yep. Yep. I mean, it's not really anything to brag about, but it's what we had in the Central Valley. Yeah, so, real. like, my fellow Central Valley California listeners will know what I'm talking about. Um, okay. And lastly, I would use, uh, going with my apparently 90s grunge theme, <laughs> um, Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. So... But, All right. Yeah, well, so welcome there it is. to our production of The Devil's Charter featuring Taylor featuring. Swift to the Nine Inch Nails, basically. Yes. It's a spectrum. <laughs> it is. It is a pretty big spectrum with a little bit of, you know, Elvis thrown in there. Devil in a blue dress. Isn't that yeah. Elvis? 
Yeah. And some Leonard I mean, Cohen, you know, yeah. the classics. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, all right. So moving on to some Shakes Bubble gossip. Um, mm-hmm. I had recently, last week, the nerdiest work retreat of all time in which I got together with my colleagues and, like, revised our rhetoric flashcards. Thank quotations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a long time coming. Everyone understood this. But, like, the fact that we took a retreat day as, like, <laughs> and it was emphasis on the treat there because all of us really wanted to be there and do this. Like, <laughs> it was a fun day. It was a really fun day. Um, so I, I don't have any more details than that because I don't know how long it would take to get these new ones reissued, right. reprinted, whatever. But but it has been done. I myself have contributed to many of the new quotes. I even managed to slip a little bit of Ophidius in there. And if you know me and if you've listened to the show previously, you know how important that is to me. Um, So that's exciting. Uh, It's very exciting. Um, Also, I'm super excited that the Actors Renaissance season at the American Shakespeare Center is about to start. And that is, to refresh your memory, when there is no director and it's just the 12 actors figuring shit out. And we're doing Much Ado About Nothing, Two Henry Four, some king other no stuff. King. A King and No King, a remount of One Henry Four from last year, and a stage reading of, of all things, A Chase Made in Cheapside. So it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. I'm, I have Actors Renaissance season is one, as we've said previously on the pod, one of the most interesting seasons of the year because the actors are just kind of there figuring it out on a very truncated rehearsal period mm-hmm. um and it's chaos and it's super fun so mm-hmm. really interesting work to watch yeah yeah um also brave spirits up in dc um the brave spirits theater just kicked off their history is 2020 cycle uh they started with richard ii it's going to run through february go to their website to check it out hi friends good luck congratulations on opening and on kicking off this cycle like they started raising money for this like two years ago at least so it is finally coming to fruition and i just wanted to throw it out there that i'm happy and excited for them and i'd really like to get up there and see uh, as many of them as i can so cool um i also want to plug uh if you are in the south east the deep south the alabama area Mm. uh if that is within your travel purview at all uh coming up in february i think 21 22 or 2021 i could look since i have the website literally (laughs) right here um my program here uh, at the university of alabama um it is 2021 february sorry february 21 22 which is a friday saturday uh the Hudson's Road program in Renaissance Studies is doing a symposium on the future of teaching Shakespeare. We've talked about it on the pod a little mm-hmm. bit before. Yeah. Um, we will put the the website again in the show notes uh, to this episode. It is free. Registration is free and we will feed you breakfast and lunch both days for free. All you have to do is get yourself to Tuscaloosa. Um, it's gonna be fucking amazing. We have an incredible lineup of speakers. Um, so just like come on down and hang out and listen to people like Alexa Alice Juban or uh, you know, David Sterling Brown or Ruben Espinoza or any number of other incredible incredible Peggy O'Brien from the Folger is one of our speakers. David Sterling Brown's gonna be there. I'm picking him up at the airport. Oh, that's so exciting. Are you jealous? He's going to be in my car. Yes, for I am. He's going to breathe the same air yes, as that I brilliant, am. handsome man. I know. He is brilliant <gasps> and handsome. 
Yeah. These yeah. are these are true, true things. These are undeniable facts. And incredibly generous also. Yes. I just want to as yeah. a as a scholar, as an early career scholar, as a mentor, he's a, an incredible asset to the field. Um and yes. he's amazing. So come yeah. listen to him talk about cool things. Uh in yeah. fact, I know the title of his paper. It's called Getting in My Way: Colon Race white centrality and shakespeare studies nice yeah nice yeah that sounds like a really star-studded lineup i know i interrupted you over my excitement over david sterling brown but you also said peggy o'brien and some other amazing names yeah Yeah. uh sujada yengar who is uh she's a uga i think uh university Mm -hmm. of georgia yep that's Um, awesome but she's also uh one of the editors of borrowers and lenders which is the journal on shakespeare and appropriation slash adaptation she's awesome um everyone who's coming is awesome yeah that's very exciting also if you come you'll get to meet me in person because i will be there because i'm the program assistant so i'm like half in charge of this i'm not half in charge of anything (laughs) i'm in charge of transportation and making sure everyone gets to us from the airport so that's a really big deal (laughs) it really is i gotta pick up david sterling brown so yeah and when i say i get to i mean i'm coordinating transportation so i am choosing that he will go in my car (laughs) (laughs) there we go there it is yep Yep. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Really cool. Yeah. So that's February 21st and 22nd. Mm-hmm. So that's coming and up. It's get free. yourselves down to Alabama for free. Yep. Yeah. You just get down get there here. and do it. That's all. Right on. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week for Musidorus 101, one of Yay. those awesome maybe Shakespeare plays. And we've it's got the other bear play. It's the other bear play. Uh, we've got a, a super fun special guest joining us for that. So uh, yeah. see you all next week. Whamlet out. Yep. Whamlet out. Happy New Year. Woo. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave us a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For show notes and other fun stuff, visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Get in touch with us. Tell us what you're working on and thinking about. You can email us at holla at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or hurlyburlyshake on Twitter. Early Burly Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. It's you have you have a lot. You you got a lot. You're gonna you're gonna no talk problem. a lot about how much you like my eyes and my lips and my hips and my butt. Well then that'll be real easy for me, because I like those things about you. So it's like, right. you know, art imitating life. Okay, great.